0: Welcome to Pop Culture. Pop
1: Culture Federation. Hello, welcome to the Pop Culture Federation podcast. I'm your host, Mikey, and I'm here with my friend Glenn, aka. Double G 392. How you doing, buddy?
0: Good. How are you today?
1: Ah, can't complain. It's a rainy Saturday.
0: Yeah, by me, it's actually getting kind of sunny right now, so that's kind of cool.
1: Uh, I mean, the ground's all wet, so going outside is kind of pointless, but you know, I, it's you got to get the vitamin D somehow.
0: Yeah, especially me with a vitamin D deficiency all the time, so.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I got it too. I take supplements.
0: Yeah, me too. It's, it's the only way being as much of a gamer as I am. I don't naturally go outside as much as I should.
1: So thank you for, for coming on. Um, I like to have, so normally my, it's for those of you who listen, my, it's myself, Matt and Ron usually talking about random topics, but, uh, usually I like to have other content creators on as well. So thank you for, for coming on. And, um, You and I first met, I believe, at WrestleMania 29? Uh, yeah. Yeah, the one in New Jersey. The first, well, the first one I met life.
0: Yeah. That
1: was great. It was for the, it was great seats, but that WrestleMania had, um, it was so, I guess the way they had that whole setup was so terrible. If you were anywhere near the top, like you couldn't see anything.
0: Yeah, and I remember when we first went in, too, there was the uh, the pillars around the ring, and there was seating right behind that, too, that you wouldn't have been able to see.
1: Yeah, it made no sense how they set that up. And then I remember seeing people tweet uh, pictures from the top, like the very, very top tier, um, and it was behind the, like the TitanTron, I guess, whatever it is, and then you could see the ring, And they're like, I can't see anything. I could hear it, but I can't see anything. But at least I'm here. And I was like, that sucks. If you pay all that money just to not even be able to see it. We had to move, if I recall. Because we complained, and we moved, and we were able to see, like, the backstage area.
0: Yeah, because where we were sitting, it was, if I remember, like, kind of on the side of the entrance ramp almost. And I remember we were able to see, like, the wrestlers when they were on, like, the little... um, It was almost like a little crevice that they were, like, kind of peeking out from.
1: Yeah. And uh, I remember William Regal was, I guess, a road agent, and he kept coming back and forth. so I kept trying to, like, shout and talk to him, but he just was not having it, and he was not thrilled. But it was still cool. And uh, I think we saw that Hall of Fame was... I know P. Diddy did the song.
0: Yeah, Diddy was there. That was uh, Mick Foley and Booker T also.
1: Wasn't Trump there too?
0: Yeah, and he got booed out of out of everything in MetLife, which was great.
1: But he was there. Uh, yeah, I remember that. Okay, um, and then that main event was Roxena, Where Cena won?
0: Yeah, that was Roxena two.
1: Roxena two, and then CM Punk versus Undertaker. I remember CM Punk should have broke the streak, and yeah,
0: that was honestly my favorite match of that card. Just yeah, because that was, that was, was probably, probably the best one. Yeah, because that was right after Paul Bearer died too. So there was a that was like one of the few uh, matches that actually had such a big build up to. I think in terms of just emotion. It did,
1: and that next year the streak would be broken by Brock Lesnar, who we also saw, Faye Triple H.
0: Yeah, which uh, yeah. that's when Michaels was in Triple H's corner, and then Paul Heyman I think got sweet chin music. Yeah, he did. That was a good Mania.
1: It was a good Mania. We saw we saw a title change. Got to see The Rock.
0: Yeah, that was I think uh the Shield faced was that when they faced like Orton, Big Show and Sheamus?
1: I, I don't remember that one. Uh, was the Shield around then?
0: Yeah, they had just debuted. That was that was their first Mania.
1: And look where they all are now.
0: <laughs> yeah. One, they're all all their wives are pregnant this year too, which is crazy.
1: Roman Reigns married.
0: Yeah, Roman Reigns has like two kids.
1: Oh, huh, good for him.
0: Yeah, I, I uh, saw that on um some post maybe I, on like Cage side, and I was like, oh, what a coincidence.
1: I always thought out of the three that John Moxley or Dean Ambrose, John Moxley was the weakest one, but then once he left and went to AEW. I realized how much he's the best one or the most uh talented of the three and cuz I used to see so where we're from there's a town called Edison nearby and in Edison there is a ice skating rink or a hockey rink um where like I guess high school kids or like amateur whatever little league equivalent of hockey is plays and uh Ring of Honor used to have shows there a lot and I used to see like that was one of their main, whenever they toured the country and they did like the north, the, the middle northeast area, uh, before they started doing everything at like Hammerstein ballroom and having the stuff in New York, they would do it there. And they had, uh, Tyler Black was Seth Rollins. He used to be Tyler Black. So he would be there. Uh, Brian Danielson, Daniel Bryan would be there. Uh, Kevin Steen was Kevin Owens, El Generico, Sami Zayn. And this was after Punk left, so Punk wasn't there. And Joe, Joe was like fully into TNA by that point. He was coming in and out Ring of Honor, Ring of Honor. But um, and I remember they got somebody from Japan, from New Japan, but I can't remember who it was. I don't think it was Okada, but they got somebody. I got the autograph somewhere. I gotta find it. Um, but anyway, the Tyler Black used to be like all the rage in Ring of Honor. And whenever, all the people I used to go with used to love him a lot. And then he went to WWE. And I don't know. It just didn't... The Seth Rollins character didn't really do it for me. Um, it, it, As part of the shield, I thought he was cool. And then, like, they shoved Roman down your throat. But then once Roman turned heel, I was like, Roman, I think, is better as a heel and as a bad guy. Because he plays that, like, badass gimmick. You know what yeah, I mean?
0: Yeah. Like, Roman right now, I actually... It's probably the most likable version of Roman I've ever seen. In, like, the sense of he's a heel... But he's actually more or less what he should have been this whole time. Yeah,
1: I agree. I think he is better in that role, and, and not as the f- you know fresh like baby face. Yeah, it, it's for somebody like John Cena, Austin, The Rock, uh, Ho- Hogan wasn't Hogan was like partially organic, partially not. But you you need something like that to happen naturally, like you need them to to. Find their find themselves. Hulk Hogan just embraced Hulkamania and became Hulkamania, and then the marketing power. Like nobody saw anything like that at the time. I think if you would have tried doing Hulkamania now, it wouldn't succeed.
0: It wouldn't because it would be too. um It's too like I don't want to say generic, right? But it's too. It's not what the world is, you know. Like you look at where we've come. Like we're in the '80s. The the good guy versus bad guy um villainy type of storyline would have worked which is why hogan succeeded so much but then 90s was really that turn of what would become the attitude era not only in wrestling but just in the world in itself which is why like austin got over so organically and then you look at people like um i mean austin and the rock they got over by becoming heels so then when they turned faces they were that much better which is in layman's, like the same thing Cena did because Cena came in as the white meat baby face against Angle, then got like destroyed and like booed out of the building until he embraced the rapper gimmick. And then people started loving Cena past that. At
1: Cena, they really marketed him towards the kids, and like the kids embraced him, and that fueled his popularity.
0: Yeah, the way I look at it is Cena, in a way, is more of, like, the Hulk Hogan-type babyface versus, like, The Rock and Austin, you know?
1: He is. Hogan was also, had the, like, he was, he's very charismatic, too, so, like, he had that going for him, Um, and he could wrestle, like, I guess a little bit, like, that big man style, Uh, and he had, like, the physique and the look, whereas Warrior was just, you know, they tried to, like, lightning strike twice, and it worked to a degree, but... Again, a Warrior character wouldn't work today.
0: No, it wouldn't, because during that time period, it would have worked just because it was that cartooniness. There's a reason why I think when Warrior came back in, like, 95, he was great for, like, the nostalgia thrill, but that character by the mid to late 90s just wasn't what I think the audience wanted.
1: Right, yeah, exactly. Like, they they tried, um, and because he was... You know, hella popular in 90, 90, 91.
0: Yeah, 90, uh-huh. 90, late 80s, too.
1: But, you know, with the way things were going and the the style changed, too, because you had the Shawn Michaels, Bret Harts, Scott Halls.
0: Yeah, it stopped uh, being the uh, the big man style. It became the actual athletes coming in. Right. Not to exactly. say like, they weren't an athlete, but Shawn and Bret and Scott, for people their size, like Scott uh, Hall, what people don't realize is like, six foot eight. And He's the way he was able to move around almost like, you know, in the same style as like Sean to an extent. Like he didn't wrestle like he was the big show, you know? Yeah. Even though there's only a three inch different there uh difference there. But a lot of them For- during that time period just that agility started coming in and just that work rate came in versus being just a, a star attraction.
1: Right. It was a very fast paced movement and style. And they they knew it was almost like a dance. Whereas they knew how to, to, to choreograph. I mean, that's what it is. It's all choreographed. Uh, that's why when people are like, wrestling's fake, I'm like, it's not fake. It's choreographed.
0: Yeah. That's like the big difference where, you know, if you've ever fallen on like an actual wrestling ring, all it is is like plywood and like a little thing of. Uh, like, mat on top of it. Like, that stuff isn't cushioned, which is what's awful when you, like, take a bump on one of them.
1: Right. It has some bounce to it, but it's not... It still hurts. And, like, even when you fall outside or fall on the ground, like, it doesn't feel good. It's just, you know, you, you do it in such a way where you don't get seriously injured and you don't hurt the other person.
0: Yeah, you have to learn how to minimize the impact that your body's about to take.
1: I, uh... So, you know, fast forward a little bit to, like, today, AEW is the one I really follow. Like, I don't really follow... I watch the WWE pay-per-views. I just borrow my cousin's login, but I don't follow it every week. I just think it's so... Like, I don't really know what they're trying to do. Like, given the circumstances of the pandemic, they're, they're trying, and, like, they're doing okay, and I can't fault the workers, but I think they had something going with Becky Lynch, but then they didn't let the women's division... Thrive after that. and Once she announced she was pregnant, it kind of put a halt to everything. Like, you could have Shayna Baszler just like running through everybody, but they until Becky got back and then she would have, you know, Superman her way in. But they, the AEWs, the one I watch, and, and the for my non wrestling friends that come over for the wrestling pay per views, the they're always like the Chris Jericho still managed to entertain and Kenny Omega because they they have that like ring magic, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. And, like, the, the big thing is, like, going back to WWE for a little bit, like, Becky was even getting stale, like, going into Mania, because she was starting to become, like, that John Cena shoved-down-your-throat type of person, uh, where when Becky first got over as the man like a year and a half ago, it was just so organic from, basically, what ended up being that, that lead to Survivor Series when she got her face busted open.
1: Yeah, and... You're only as good too as your opponents. Yeah, and that was also some of the fall downfall of WCW. Uh, there, once they ran out of opponents, it was either time to switch the belt to somebody else. Uh, but same thing with Cena. Like Cena, when Cena got stale, and he, when he was the most stale, he was fighting like Oleg or Kozlov.
0: Yeah, and like wasn't even going against CM Punk. It's it's funny because you mentioned Kozlov, because I remember when they brought him in, they tried to make him like. Such a main eventer, but he wrestled like he was Giant Gonzalez. Yeah. Like he... And now you see Kozlov on the movies. Dude's, like, in the best shape of his life. But I just remember that 2008-2009 that period where he was, like, in the main event. But you were like, why is he in the main events?
1: Right, exactly. <laughs> in the 80s, they... You know, would take people from different territories, and they would they would have a name established to them, where they would build them up through the year. Then to face them, face Hogan, and you know, it was it worked. The same thing with Austin. Austin had Rock, Triple H, Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, and Undertaker. they, like, they had names to go after and chase.
0: Yeah, I think. But then, you know, one of the biggest issues I've said in recent time with WWE's building is you know you look back to those names you just mentioned. All of them, was a, they were stars in their own right. Whereas now, you look, and you only have those, like, maybe two or three top guys that you could believe as a main eventer, and everyone else almost just feels like a mid-carder that might kind of go up at points, then go right back down to the mid-card. Like, Kevin Owens is honestly a bona fide main eventer in any role they give him, but then he finds himself, like, facing Aleister Black in the first, uh, the first match on Raw, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, AEW like going into it like I follow that for the most part because it's it's a different product. It's so refreshing to see how they do things in such a way where it doesn't directly like mimic what the WWE does, which was arguably TNA's biggest downfall in their heyday.
1: Right. They they try to copy.
0: Yeah. Whereas Impact now is apparently one of the most consistent wrestling shows on TV, from what I've heard.
1: Yeah, the wrestling fans that I'm friends with, they're like Impact's probably the best one than AEW.
0: Yeah, and you know what the thing is? It's funny because between the people from WWE that have ended up in AEW and Impact, you see their star power now where WWE didn't know what to do with them. Like Gallows and Anderson are two of the biggest stars that were in Japan, and WWE... And in Impact as the tag champs now, but when they were in WWE, all they knew to do with them was, hey, pair him with Finn or pair him with AJ. Like, they never really let them stand on their own.
1: Right, exactly.
0: And uh, I think that's one of the biggest problems is... I mean, and then it goes into it, like, you know, there's the story that Vince McMahon hates tag team wrestling.
1: I wouldn't doubt that. I'd believe that. You could see how much, how little the tag teams have been... Uh, in the in the limelight, yeah. They're usually they're more of like a like a prop, like an angle. Like you saw in like the, the late Cena era in the late 2000s, where they would just give them to the main eventers to like, oh, we're gonna put Sean and Cena in the tag team. They won the tag titles, and then they're gonna, f- yeah. And it's like they're gonna then they're gonna end up wrestling, and they're gonna lose the tag belts, and that's gonna start the feud. I mean, it's, it's not a bad idea, but you do it all the time, it doesn't work.
0: Yeah, and you know, when you think about it, there's only been four, in a way, consistent tag teams over the last ten years that actually were like a tag team, and you look at it and it's the Usos, the New Day, uh, it kind of was the Shield for a while, and then, oddly enough, it's Brizango
1: Yeah, Brizango.
0: How they're still, you know, doing their thing in NXT and then NXT takes, I think, such a a bigger pride on the tag team division that the main roster doesn't get.
1: NXT tried, I mean tries, and I think their WWE's I think main fault. And it's also probably their main thing that's like keeping them different is their roster split. Either you, you split the roster like they have and ha- keep it how it used to be where it was just Raw, just SmackDown. You only fought each other on Survivor Series and you had that like one cross-promotion match in Mania and the Royal Rumble, obviously. But then you... And NXT was like that for a very long point until people got called up. And then they kept like replenishing with new stars. But then once they would take the call-ups and do nothing with them, it's like... You know, you have a product people are watching, and then you're just getting rid of it. So then it's now it's not a developmental program anymore; it's its own thing.
0: And that's one of the biggest problems. If if you remember, what was it? Almost probably two years ago now, when they brought up all those people from NXT at like one batch. I think it was Aleister Black. I think they brought up Gargano and Champa, who were feuding in NXT. But then on the main roster, they reformed DIY for some reason. So it was like, depending what show you were watching, you got two different versions of their relationship.
1: I know they had to go... Like, the NXT guys had to show up on Raw because the there was a problem like when everybody got stuck in Saudi Arabia.
0: Yeah, and that's when Triple everybody H started the up. big invasion thing.
1: Yeah. It's... I mean, NXT was a whole fresh... It was fresh. It was good. Like they needed to do it. I think they just, they're, it's starting to fall in that like fault that ECW did when they re brought that as the third brand.
0: Yeah. Like ECW should sense. never had
1: anything to do with WWE. They should have just had it under the WWE umbrella, put their own guys there, maybe take a few from WWE, put it there, and never ever cross. Let never let them go to the Rumble. Nothing. Just let them be there.
0: See, I like last year when they uh, when they brought NXT into Survivor Series. During that point where, you know, NXT went from being a network show to being on the USA. Um, which was cool because it, it tried to, I guess, legitimize itself as, yeah, this is a third brand. And it allowed so many, in, so many of their stars in that Survivor Series match to showcase themselves. Like, that's probably where a lot of people who didn't watch NXT first saw Keith Lee. And to see him... Like, standing toe-to-toe with Roman Reigns at the end of that match, I think, was, like, a huge thing in terms of, like, Heath Leeds star power, you know? And now yeah. you see him on the main roster, and it's like, well, where was that guy that we had a year ago? Because you're not treating him like he was that monster anymore.
1: It That was a cool thing that they did. Like, having NXT show up, it gave legitimacy, to to that title. Um, and... Charlotte winning the Rumble and challenging for the NXT women's title. It did, she shouldn't have won, but it brought like legitimacy to the brand that it was a like a legit third promotion. But then they lost sight to the fact that it is still a developmental brand.
0: Yeah, to an extent, because it's definitely developmental because in in the sense of you know, it's it's a lot of the people that are their homegrown signees. I think one of their biggest things that made them, when NXT was first, like, formed, was a lot of their original main eventers were well-known people. Like, when Sami Zayn showed up, when Neville showed up, when Balor showed up. It was people that, if you knew wrestling around the world, you knew these names. And it wasn't a lot of... Well, they had their homegrown people, but I think, you know, they had more indie stars at that time that were prominent, if that makes sense. Whereas, like, now the biggest thing they have is really the Undisputed Air. And then everyone else, like, Ciampa's there, Gargano's there, but everyone else kind of there right now is a homegrown talent, minus the women's division. And I think that's where it kind of loses a little bit of its sparkle, where there's not that many established stars anymore.
1: Right. I agree. Now's the best time to be a wrestling fan, still. Because there's so much Product out there, uh, and Bullet Club, I think, really started that. Like, Cody leaving, like, Cody Rhodes, I think, when everybody looks back on it, is gonna get a, a ton of credit for this because he brought not legitimacy to it, but he brought it to the limelight and he like made it not just another WWE X talent,
0: yeah, because he, yeah, because he was the one that that was like the name, you know, like, he could have probably had a job in WWE till the end of his life if he really wanted because he was a Rhodes. Um, yeah, And that's why Goldust kept artist. getting brought back for so many years because he was, like, well-known. And kind of going into that, Cody, when he left, you know, we, I think, as WWE fans, never really full-on saw what he was capable of until he went to the indies. And you saw how good he could actually be given, you know, the right opponent, the right type of match, and allowed his personality to finally, like, finally shine again. Instead of just being stardust,
1: right? When he put out the he put out a tweet with like a picture of like a list, and it was who he wanted to face on the Indies, and like the biggest name on there I think was Kurt Angle, and then you had just a bunch of other people, and it's like wow, it's like, and then like follow Cody's journey, and then the Young Bucks bringing their merch into Hot Topic.
0: That was big. It was the other, it was a big one? I mean, the Bucks at the time were just new japan and ring of honor like i remember watching them in the late 2000s as generation me on tna and i was like oh these kids they look like the new hardy boys and go figure that's what they were uh compared to for so long and they've definitely thats what they were yeah and I, i definitely think like it's great how much they've come into their own like being the elite like that's a great show um and just it kind of what I like about the AEW group of people is they've definitely taken the, um, in a way the seriousness out of the business and allows you to just be a wrestling fan without kind of feeling the politics. Like I remember, yes, what was it, in, in the late, in 2002, 2003 when Triple H just kept winning every title match, I remember how like angry as wrestling fans we all kind of were. Because it just felt like he was going to have that belt forever because he didn't want to lose it.
1: Right. And the difference between him and Jeff Jarrett, because Jeff Jarrett did the same thing, was Jeff Jarrett, like TNA was so, there was no, they didn't have the money to sign people to these really long extended contracts. So Jeff Jarrett was the only constant. So that's why he ended up having to get the belt all the time because you couldn't have somebody else carry it for as long because you didn't know if they were just going to leave. Or have the money to keep them, so you gave it to Jeff Jarrett, and that made sense. But Triple H, they they didn't really have that much of an excuse. Like they just, there's their fault for not building talent and relying on The Rock and Austin.
0: Yeah, and then that still shows to today because you look at when Triple H was champion, you had such a diverse roster because Booker T was there, Jericho was still there, Angle was there, um, Kane was still there. You know, RVD should have held that belt once, but he always lost and it's it just shows because like going into like the TNA topic Jeff Jarrett had it for the longest time until you know those proven stars proved they were going to be there like the people like the Samoa Joes and the, the AJ Styles but even then you know they didn't win i think their first titles till like 2008 So i remember watching AJ in the X Division so much
1: yeah i mean the X Division is what set TNA apart yeah, because oh.
0: it was literally, like, a, a really ramped-up cruiserweight division.
1: It was how it, kind of how WCW had it, honestly. Just more, you know, flashy and showy. Yeah,
0: and I think that's the, the, one of the WWE's other big downfalls, unfortunately, to say, is they don't know how to treat, like, their non-built guys. Like, they don't... The cruiserweight division, like, in WWE, when it was on SmackDown back in the early 2000s, was great because you had the people, like... Uh, Mysterio Billy Kidman Chavo Guerrero was still there Paul London Brian Kendrick and it seems like they just really don't know how to handle that division under like Vince's eyes because I think when you look at Smackdown where it differs is the early 2000s when Heyman was in charge of the writing he built so many stars as main eventers that would have never hit the main event if they were like on Monday Night Raw
1: yeah, he had his big six.
0: Yeah, which that was what was it? Angle. It was a Benoit Guerrero,
1: Chavo, Edge, and Mysterio.
0: Yeah, and I don't know. Just looking at it, like you could see really when that original downfall of the um the draft just kind of start falling apart because the original like yeah implementation of it was fantastic, and then. It kind of just, like that's in 2011 when they just kind of straight ended it. You knew, like, you're like, all right, it's time to, to, re, uh, to recombine the rosters only for, what, three, four years later then to be like, we're bringing back the draft again.
1: Yeah, it, it there's too many belts, too, on yeah. top of that. Like, if you have two shows, it should just be the world champion should go on both like they used to. Have the IC belt be the champion of, you know, Raw, and then the US of the champion of SmackDown, and you can have your have one tag team go between both, have one woman's go between both. Um, you can even have like an underbelt too, like the the Raw champion or the SmackDown champion, if you want to have more, you know, belt diversity. But the the main champion should go between the shows.
0: Yeah, I mean, and I think that's one of the big problems too is like you, you were going on about is with too many belts it kind of it it like floods the market in a way where the belts don't feel as prestigious because you're like oh alright if I have the US or if I have the IC in a way like in current form it doesn't matter as much
1: right it doesn't whereas back in the day it did
0: yeah back in the day the Intercontinental Championship was like top tier like you look at people who held it in in 2001 alone you had Triple H holding it you had Kane holding it I think Jericho and Rock or Angle both had it at one point where like these were main event stars that were able to have the non main event belt but make it feel that much more special Mm -hmm. whereas like now it's just kind of like you could throw it on anyone
1: right yeah that's, that's what it's used for
0: yeah, and I think that's where AEW is doing great in the sense of they're not trying to introduce all these titles at once.
1: Yeah, that's the smart decision by them to do that. To do it the way they did it is the best way. And and they're treating them all like main event titles.
0: Yeah, I mean, because they don't have an undercard title. They have, what, the, the AEW championship, the women's title, and just the tag belts, right?
1: And the TNT, but they treat the TNT like the world championship. Right. And they, you know, they, even the company TNT, like the TV network on their Twitter handle, it says, you know, Cody Rhodes is our champion. Darby Allen is our champion. When they're like tweeting out, you know, what NCIS new episodes this Saturday, Cody Rhodes is our champion. It's like. All right, you know, even the company's getting in on it, which is cool.
0: Yeah, and I think that's what you need. Like, I think the way Tony Khan's handling it is, you know, especially with the, the Impact deal that just happened, it's so nice to actually, in a way, as a wrestling fan, feel like there's kind of freedom there now. Where yeah, it
1: feels a little bit like the territory days.
0: Which is what's going to, I think, help everyone out as a whole. Because I remember Tony Khan, what was it, two weeks ago, said, they had some big things that are gonna change the landscape of wrestling happening. And a lot of people, I think, watching the Winner is coming thing thought it was Sting debuting. But then with the way the main event went, all of a sudden, you know, how are you you're ending your show telling the viewers to watch another company. Which that's like a big jump that you know WWE would never do.
1: No. Even though you know, during like the heyday of Impact, having John Cena show up on their show would have been massive for them, and it would have been like a good buzz, good publicity buzz for everybody. So you're never gonna like Impact never was going to compete with WWE money wise, so like I don't know why they were cared so much and were so selfish about it. But like AEW sees like Tony Khan's like I'm rich, I don't need money from this. Like he doesn't. He owns the Jacksonville Jaguars. He owns Full FC. He owns a, one of the world's largest auto uh, parts companies with his father. He, he doesn't need money; he just does it for fun.
0: And he's, a, he's such a big like wrestling fan, from what I've heard. So yeah. that's what's I think helping it a lot is, you know, it's almost like you could see with Tony Khan, with the Box, with Cody, with Kenny; they actually love wrestling, and that's like a thing that you kind of wonder if Vince McMahon still loves wrestling. Because it, it seems like where AEW differs is, you know, they're actually giving the fans kind of what they want, and that's what's working for them, whereas WWE's Vince is giving the fans what Vince wants. Where, yeah,
1: and you know, I, I think that's outdated.
0: And unfortunately, like, that's just how it's going to work there. Like, Triple H has done great with NXT, because it's been, all of a sudden, the you see a side of Triple H that you never thought you would see, because... We kind of always told, you know, we were always, like, meant to believe that he was, you know, any match he was going to be in, he was just going to bury the other person. So, to see him now acting as, like, a father of a brand instead of, like, the competitor is so refreshing because you almost see how much Triple H is actually a wrestling fan.
1: Yeah. Plus, too, like, he's getting old, so because doesn't need to be over.
0: yeah. He's going to be over just by showing up at this point.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, he's he's in that status.
0: Yeah, that's why um, William Regal gets the pop he gets every time he shows up on TV.
1: I, I could probably talk about wrestling all day, but I uh, wanted to segue in to talk a little bit about your channel. Um, So, why don't you tell us a little bit about it and then how you started it and, like, why you started it.
0: If we talking about the YouTube channel, it's pretty much a channel where I review kind of interesting different products I find everywhere. I also do a lot of motivational speeches and just things along those lines. I mean, I started it back in 2017 because I had a lot of just like family stuff going on. And it was then my kind of, I guess, gateway into my own like focusing on myself again and allowing myself to kind of channel that. I guess that energy into a creative form and I've just kind of been growing it since it's been cool especially when you have companies who seem like your reviews and I actually have um, a company out of Fairfield New Jersey sending me more tea to review uh, because they hit me up on Instagram yesterday surprisingly and I was like oh that's kind of cool and you know once I started getting that little buzz where the companies were reaching out to me like through emails saying hey we do this do you want to review it I was like amazed and awesome. just out of just you know pure interest because I mean I'm not monetized or anything at this point so it's literally I'm always even just as like a tech person someone who you throw something new in front of me I'm gonna look at it and be like oh what's this do you know it's It's just a matter of, uh, I like being able to kind of break out of my day-to-day to to see something different. Whether it's like a a new energy drink or a a tea, a coffee, um, a new fast food item at like McDonald's or Burger King. And I think... The Rocks tequila? Yes, I did pick that up last week. I did that one. Um, But I think a lot of, one of the reasons I started doing it as well was... I was always known, like, from when I worked at the store, as having, like, the weird drinks or something that people wouldn't normally buy. So I started thinking, you know, just because it's new, it's different, doesn't mean it's bad. And I think a lot of people are just afraid to kind of break out of their comfort zone. So I was like, let me do these reviews. Let me show you what this is all about. And maybe, you know, I could get someone to try something that they wouldn't have normally tried.
1: That's a really good way to put it, honestly. To to do that to to give somebody the exposure to something to get them to try new things. Because I know so many people that are just stuck in their ways, and they'll just refuse to try something because it's you know come up any excuse in the book, but they just won't try something new, even if it's something so simple like a like an iced tea or a drink or a beverage. You know, we're not talking like trying something that changes your life drastically. We're talking about just like a you know something to drink.
0: Yeah, and I mean, one of the ways I thought about it too, uh, a couple years ago, was, did you ever, like, when you were a kid, you hated a food, but you really didn't know why you hated it, you just didn't like it, and then like your parents would kind of throw it in a meal, but disguise it as like something else, and then you're like, oh, what was this? And then they say it, and it's the same thing that you thought you hated, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, wait, that wasn't that bad after all.
1: Yes, I've had that uh, plenty of times.
0: And, you know, when I used to review the energy drinks, you know, I knew so many friends that would just get Green Monster all the time. And I'm like, but, you know, they have their juice blends, they have this, and they're like, oh, no, we'll stick to, you know, just the regular one. I'm like, but arguably, in my opinion, the regular one is the worst one out of all of them, you know? sounds yeah, like. great Are yeah. you sure you don't want to try, you know, the chaotic, the, the, uh, the ginger brew, like, just to kind of, like, I think... One of our biggest problems, like you were saying, is people are so stuck in their ways. And I was trying to just find a little, little way to kind of been like, maybe allow them to open their mind a little bit.
1: Yeah, I get that a lot with people with coffee. They're like, I love coffee. And most people's first exposure to coffee is through a, like a, like a, maybe their parents or somebody had a a home, like coffee pot where you get the, the white filter, you put it in, you get the chock full of nuts or the Folgers or Maxwell House pre-ground coffee, put it in, it tastes terrible. You're not going to, if you don't, if you fetch your first exposure to coffee, you're not going to like it. If you do like it, then God bless. But the then, you know, people are like, oh, coffee's got this like weird taste, this and that. And it's like, if you like things like beer, and if you like things that have like a different non-sugary taste, there's no reason you wouldn't like coffee. You just, you just have had bad coffee. And you can also put, like, sugars and stuff in it, too, and to, flavoring to make it taste better. And some of the stuff in Starbucks that they sell is has coffee in it. You just don't even know.
0: Right. And, you know, it's funny because the way you described it, that was actually my first exposure to coffee, where as a kid I remember just for some reason I didn't like the smell. And it almost makes me feel like my parents brewed it in, like, a really weird way. Whereas, like, you know, yeah. when I started going to, like, coffee houses and you got, like, that actual coffee aroma, I was like, wow, this smells awesome. And, um, I'm one of the few people that I know that actually drinks my coffee black. I do, too. And I think it's because, you know, I'm not... I, I If I'm drinking coffee, I want the flavor of coffee, you know? Like, I don't want it to be creamer with a little bit of coffee in it. Whereas... Yeah, no, I... You know what you mean? I have friends that, um... They'll go to Dunkin' and be like, oh, can you put, like, four sugar and, like, three things of, like, creamer in it? And I'm just like, are you even drinking coffee at that point? Like, it sounds like you're drinking, like, sugar milk.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. If I know I'm having bad coffee, like, if I go to, like, my, like, an uncle's house and he's got Folgers, then I'll be like, can you just give me, like, extra cream so I could just feel like I'm drinking cream? And, but... I will never forget one time in college, I was in like the cafeteria equivalent thing that they had. And this girl was at the coffee stand and she kept putting, I stood there just to watch because I wanted to see how many she put 16 packets of sugar in a small cup of coffee. And I was like, at that point, yeah, I was like at that point, And then she put a little bit of coffee and then milk. I was like at that point, you must well just eat the sugar or drink soda because it's the same thing at that point. Like, what are you doing? Like, that's, like, you, first of all, you're asking for diabetes.
0: I don't know. I've become, as I've gotten older, just a big fan of, like, really, like, dark roast, bold coffees. Whereas I know, like, my family, for example, if I were to buy that when I lived at home, they would never touch it because they like the lighter roast. But I'm just kind of like. Especially drinking it black, apparently, like, surprises a lot of people. But when I make tea, I drink it the same way. Like, I just drink it straight.
1: My, uh, my friend, a long time ago, turned me on to uh, a Chemex pot with the pour-over method. Haven't, haven't gone back anything. Like, K-Cups are convenient, like, on the go, but they're not, they're not taste good to me, um... So every day I make a pot of coffee. With the pour over, it takes like 20 minutes to do the whole from start to finish, but you know you get a really nice flavor and you taste the flavor of the coffee beans. I get my beans from I don't I usually don't I get them I grind them myself. I make my own cold brew. Uh, I brew it for like 48 to 72 hours, and uh, let it sit. And then when you drink it, you know you just you can drink it straight black and it tastes great I mean i i I don't I drink coffee sometimes with dinner like I don't drink coffee for the for the caffeine I drink it just for the taste and like I just enjoy it
0: me too I'm more of a coffee drinker in the winter i I don't know I tend to be one of those people that a hot beverage I'll only drink when it's cold out and like vice versa like I won't drink iced tea unless it's like the summer or the spring.
1: Yeah. No I don't know what you mean. So there's just a lot of people like that. I, I'm with like I'm a little bit like that with tea. Like tea I'm more of like a fall, winter type person, but coffee I can for some reason I could just drink year round. I even started making um I use I make a coffee rub and put it on my steaks. And I've given it to my friends who hated coffee and I'm like, Oh, do you like the rub? They're like, yeah, it's pretty good. What is it? It's like coffee.
0: Because coffee as a rub, I've had one like that. It adds like a nice smoky flavor to it.
1: Yeah, you get that earthy flavor.
0: Yeah, and you know, offhand, that doesn't sound like it would full-on be appetizing until you've tried it.
1: Yes, coffee surprisingly pairs really well with salt.
0: Which, that's, it's funny because they're like so... It's not, like, the difference between salt and sugar. It's, like, the difference between salt and, like, I don't even know the, the. I know people that have. Go ahead. I was going to say, I don't even know the analogy I'm trying to make. I
1: I know people who, um, who sometimes are, like, you know, when the people want sugar, they're, like, don't put sugar in it. Put, like, a quarter teaspoon of salt and mix it in. And if you, especially if you put cream, the salt brings out like the richness and boldness of the coffee. Salt is actually a very underutilized thing.
0: I mean, I wouldn't have thought to put that in coffee, but you, I mean, you think that there's a lot of like salted caramel stuff out there for coffee, so that kind of makes sense.
1: Yeah, the salt, salt like brings out the flavor of it. Um, sugar is sugar kind of does the opposite sugar oddly goes well with like if you're going to use like a fatty um type thing like if you put butter in your coffee like sugar is probably better but if you don't put anything in it like the salt a little bit of salt just like a pinch not a lot but try it next time you have hot coffee i'm gonna need to
0: it's it's funny that you mentioned butter, too, because I've seen that recently for, like, the, the people on the keto diet. They make uh, that, that butter coffee. I forgot what it's called. Bullet coffee. Yeah, the bullet coffee. And then... Yeah, I, I
1: did keto for eight
0: months. I lost,
1: like, 60, almost 70 pounds.
0: That sounds awesome. I, I need to look into that, because I'm trying to drop 30, and I find it, like, so difficult.
1: Don't. Don't. It... it it's not sustainable people like well on the reddit there's people that have been doing it for years and stuff like that it's not um at the end of the day like what you end up doing is it's all calorie deficiency and you end up using fat and like you burn more calories because to burn the fat but if you um if you're like very overweight or very obese then I would recommend keto but if like you're 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 not you're a thin dude so probably just to like I don't even know maybe weight watchers is honestly the best one but it's patience like you need patience to do it keto is kind of like quick but if you don't like maintain it's very very difficult plus it's a very there's a lot of constraints on it because if you if you just lived by yourself in the woods and you know you know ne- you never went out to eat at all and you just made all your own food 100 percent of the time then you could do it but if you don't it's a lot harder
0: yeah especially when you know today's day and age we're so used to doing grocery shopping where, like, what you were saying, if if you lived in the woods and you had to kind of do it yourself, it probably would be a lot easier because it just becomes a way of life at that point. And, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, a couple years ago, I went and dropped, like, 25 pounds over the course of three months, but I was just very, very active that summer and, like, walking a lot, doing a lot more, and I probably could do that, like, real quick, but I think just the way this year has gone a lot of like things that I could do. And plus like as much as I work now versus then, I just don't full on have the time to recommit to that type of lifestyle at the moment. But like the (laughs) gyms being reopened has been the most beautiful thing for me to I've dropped like 10 pounds since August. So
1: I quit the gym membership and just stopped paying because I, my gym is run by a bunch of teenagers and no offense to teenagers, but I don't think that they're going to police people to wear masks. And there's and I and I drive past the gym too. It's packed. They're not adhering to any kind of, you know, partially full percentage, uh, open. Like it's a hundred percent full like it usually is. And no, you know, it's it is what it is, but I and they they gave me grief too for trying to quit. And I was like, why? I was like, we're in a pandemic. And when you're running on the treadmill or doing weights, people are like huffing, puffing, screaming, grunting. And, you know, you know how many particles you admit? And then when you are you gonna wipe down every single hand weight, are you gonna wipe down every single, you know, bar like people are supposed to, but they don't. It's it's just a thing. And you're in an area where there's a lot of, you know, people are exhaling a lot. That's how fat is burned through exhaling. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm good. So, we got a treadmill just that, a couple weeks ago. Been doing that. And then got kettlebells and all that fun stuff. So, I was like, you know what? I could probably just do this at home. But it's all a lot of it is mental, too. If people are stressed and all that, like, people put on a lot of weight when stressed. And this year has been stressful for a lot of people.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's what partially did it for me. Because going into the beginning of the year, I was probably in the best... Well, getting into the best shape I was going to get in and like mentally I was 100% like ready to like break down 2020 because I would given up playing as much video games. I was going out more. I was just living life and I was like, all right, yeah, we're going to make this change. And then the world was like literally everything you thought you did. Nope. Go back to living that sedentary lifestyle.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it we um, this will probably air before our. 2020 review episode so like spoiler alert i guess uh but the we we were talking about like the year in review and normally when we do that we talk about the movies tv shows uh the things that came out like the pop culture references throughout the year things like that and the i I asked i was like try to find a positive about 2020 and um your channel was one of the ones too that kind of gave me that like that like oomph to start doing something because a lot of people too are just so like have that like sedentary lifestyle and they just don't do anything you know what I mean like and that's fine like everybody needs a lazy day every now and then like just to sit there and do nothing like play video games watch television you know do nothing everybody needs like a like a restart so but then you see those people who just like they hate their job they do the same things all the time with their friends they don't take care of their diet. They just don't do anything, and they have that creative. They, you know, they want to do something. They know you want to do something creative. They you just, just don't do, do it. it. And like I think, know people. Oh, Good.
0: I was gonna say. I think that's one of the biggest things that you know kind of killed me this year was I'm. I think normally like a very active person. So the first couple months of like even just working from home was like okay cool this feels like a mini vacation, and then. I guess when we get to, like, June, I was ready. I was like, all right, come on. Like, I need to do something. Like, I can't just be sitting inside all day because I'm someone who I think in my life I need adventure and I need to, like, go to different places, see different things, have different food. So, like, being forced, basically, to uh, just stay home has been a little, I think, rough on me, especially because I live alone. So that's just been, like, you know, you get it's so different when you're actually forced to be stuck with yourself because you have to basically in certain ways, be your own entertainment, you know? Yeah.
1: Well, I don't know. I live with my wife, but I, uh, I know people that are in the same situation as you. And it's, it's the same thing. It's like, you can only like be without social or human contact for so long.
0: Yeah. And I, I said to one of the people I talked to at work, I was like, you know, we talk on the phone all day. But it's different from, like, talking on the phone to actually being face-to-face, you know? And, mm-hmm. you know, being such a, a big gamer again, even playing video games have has kind of become, like, exhausting instead of entertaining. Because it's, like, it's one of three things I can choose to do on that day, aside from, like, read a book or sleep.
1: I know what you mean. I... the The... 2020 made me realize that like my it reignited my love for for gaming, uh because it was I because years I would just play like one or two games a year and then during the pandemic I was like you know let me try other things out I was like wow I remember playing something similar as a kid and whatnot and I really realized how much I enjoy it um it's definitely like I have less time to do it especially with, like working even you know prior to talking to you I had to work for an hour and a half on a Saturday. But it's it just kind of you know it's a lot harder sometimes to do. But it's um, I almost for me anyway fine. And I I talk to people like yourself and they say you know like I I need to be around people like I miss people. Then I'm kind of and I talk to some of my other friends like some people I've talked to more now over like uh, uh, Google Meets and uh, on the phone or like through audio than I ever did and. I'm like, you know, I kind of don't hate the not being as social as I once was, because I always need to be around people, I always need to do something. I was like, I kind of don't, I kind of like realized I enjoy being around myself, if that makes any sense.
0: Yeah, see, I kind of feel like I was the opposite, where I think from even when I worked at the store, to, you know, living at home, to even being in the office, I was so used to, I think, being around people all the time, that... I kind of took it for granted how much I actually enjoyed having company, you know, and yeah. now, you know, after that initial two month period that I mentioned disappeared, I was just kind of like, where is everyone? You know, my friend had um a little housewarming thing over the summer uh, and it was like the first time I had seen the whole group of friends since January and a part of me got like emotional at a point where I was like, oh my God. We're all here. We're all alive. I haven't seen you guys in eight months. Like, it almost felt like if I was sitting on a desert island as much as everyone's five miles away to finally, like, see familiar faces again that weren't my parents, you know? Right. And it was, like, it was so nice to, like, actually feel like people existed for that little bit. But I think I've, you know, being someone who has, like, anxiety and all that, I think... The seclusion, the isolation has kind of driven me a little bit more, I guess you could call it crazy, in in the sense of, you know, now it's just me trying to figure out what I want to do every day, and those little things to try to make it different, but different enough that it doesn't feel like it's just a variation of the same thing.
1: Right, no, I know what you mean. the The one thing that drives me nuts, and like, people... So, during the spring, when I would talk to my friends and we would FaceTime, nobody was on their phone, unless they were talking on, like, through FaceTiming through their phone. Nobody was talking, nobody, we were just talking, we were chatting, nobody stopped to look at their phone, unless we were, like, trying to look up something, like, to fact check, or something like that, but the, as soon as I saw people again in person, it, like, reverted back to how it was people back on their phone not being engaged in the conversation and it's almost like what's the point like when we were just chatting before nobody was on their phone and it made it more like meaningful and you know it drives me, like the phone thing drives me nuts. I, i'm guilty of it too but when everybody else is doing it, it's like well what do i do
0: and you know, one of my one of my friends uh, back in high school once brought it up, where they were like, "If you're going to be on your phone the whole time when we're hanging out, then why didn't you just text me in the first place?" Yeah, yeah exactly. I, and it's it's almost it's in a sense I feel like it's rude. You know, where you know you're sitting there with someone, and you're giving something else more attention than the person that's willing to spend their time with you.
1: Right. Exactly. And that's everybody reverted back to that and it drove me nuts a little bit like I get it like sometimes you need it you're like oh I'm waiting for a call or you know I gotta keep it on me just you know for emergency like my friend got a dog and he's like you know sorry talking about the new dog and I was like just we're dealing with that and I was like alright you yeah, know whatever but then people are just scrolling you see him scrolling through Facebook yeah and it's it's like why
0: you know it, it's funny because I think us as a generation we've become so dependent on social media and electronics For no type of reason. Like, I remember a couple years ago, I went camping, and the first day, I was like, oh, I'm going to be without my phone. This is going to suck, because there was no cell service. And, like, once you honestly take it out of the equation, I feel like, personally, I felt so much more peaceful without it, because all of a sudden, like, all the obligations that you kind of give yourself that are on your phone are non-existent. So it takes, like I think, a whole level of stress away. Because then you're just kind of like, okay, you know, this isn't a thing right now. I don't have to worry about that. You know, if anything crazy happens, I won't need to know about it happening until three days from now when we're coming home from the camping trip. And... Yeah, I know what you mean. It's... In a weird way, it's ridiculous how, like, dependent we've become on, you know, TV, computers... And, like, it's, it's funny because I'm such, like, a tech nerd, but at the end of the day, I think I'd be happier living in, like, a log cabin in the woods with just, like, basic necessity because it takes away everything else that can just affect you, whether, you know, you see something on Facebook you don't like and get angry off that, you know. It takes, I think, so many different uh, factors out of the equation where I've noticed those people that, you know, still don't have cell phones, still don't have computers... Have basic cable, they often are the happier people.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. They are. And uh, I, I took like a lesson from a lot of them and was just sometimes I just put my phone down and don't even look at it. And like I have, I have like the Apple Watch. So like sometimes something does come through, I'll just glance at it and be like, oh, it's not urgent. Or if it's like work, I'm like, all right, we got my phone. But sometimes I just keep it down. Don't look at it because you get lost doing it too. And it's like so much time wasted. My friend told me like a great thing. He's like, he goes, I don't bring my phone on me when I go to the toilet anymore. I was like, really? He goes, yeah, I just sit there with my thoughts and you realize I'm how much better, better
0: that is. <laughs> um, that's why I, I recently deactivated my Facebook again, because I was sitting there and I was like, I'm spending way too much time back on Facebook instead of like being productive And I, uh, a couple years ago, deactivated for like a year and a half. And I got back on it about a year ago around this time. Coincidentally, just because I, you know, didn't have anything to do. And I was like, oh, let's see what, maybe I can go make some new friends somewhere. Um, But when I'm, like, I realized over the past couple months, right before I deactivated I was like, all I'm doing is sitting here on Facebook in my free time when I could be doing this, I could be doing that, like, that, uh that social media like almost addiction comes in and at the end of the day there's parts of it that make you feel bad because you see so many other people doing more with their lives than you're doing because they're posting it on Facebook with hey pictures of a vacation or hey we went here today meanwhile you're just vicariously in a way living through them instead of actually going out and doing something
1: yeah i when i used to i used to travel we used to travel a lot before this year. Every year, we'd go somewhere new, uh, to different countries, and different states. And I never uh, posted any of it because I was like, one, most people don't care. And, like, I don't care if they know. Like, I'll send something cool to my friends. Like, when I went to Japan, I would send stuff to my friends. I'd be like, yo, this is really cool. or like this food. is great. And I took a bunch of pictures for myself. Or if something was, like, really interesting or, like, in the moment, I would take it to Snapchat and then send it to people on Snapchat but like, I never Instagram or Facebook. Just didn't post it. It was just, it was like, what's the point?
0: Yeah, I think uh, I'm 100 percent guilty of because of social media becoming an attention seeker at points. And it's almost like because it's an option. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. yeah once, once you figure, figure out what you, need, what you need, like why you need, you need that dopamine effect, test, then you can try to find the ways so of better. actually getting it yeah Yeah, or like why why you need it in the first place
0: place. yeah and i think you know i can attest like when i went back to facebook a year ago was because i was kind of basically lonely at that point where i'm like i'm sitting at home i bought my own place everyone's busy what else is there really to do you know and yep luckily enough you know it coincidentally was right before the pandemic hit so i was able to, to because of it keep in touch with a lot of people um from family that I have in, like, Poland to, like, my cousins in Florida and whatnot. So, that was fine. But then it just got to a point, I was like, they all have my phone number if they need to talk to me. I'm I'm done with this right now.
1: Some, some people I talk to on, like, Messenger. And then others, I'm just like, I even said it to you. I was like, just give me your phone number so I don't have to go on Facebook Yeah. anymore. I've, I've noticed, <laughs> and, uh, dude, Facebook it
0: is, it's, like, they say it's toxic in a way.
1: It is very much so,
0: and I think the uh, the invention of social media has kind of killed us from actually interacting as people, instead of you know just being like oh I uh, I shared this link go check it out.
1: Yes, and things like trends and and stuff in pop culture end faster now than they did previously
0: because they don't have the time to spread. They were just kind of like hey here it is, and then everyone's like oh look at this, right. and then two weeks later oh that's old.
1: Right, exactly. They before it like had to spread organically, like through the schools and and whatnot, and then, you know, it lasted a little bit longer than it does now.
0: Yeah, I'm just thinking back now, like just how you know, when when MySpace first came out back in the day, like how I feel like it was popular but we weren't as addicted to it as people are now. But at Uh, the same time, it's more or less, too, that was, like, the first of its kind. So, it was, in a weird way, like, you think of, like, your body's, like, mental structure, like, it it was the first of its kind, so we didn't have that, like, addiction as a generation that we do now to social media. It was just kind of like, oh, this is my space. I'll check it out once a week or something. And then I think when Facebook became big, when Twitter became big, everyone just got. That's when I think people got really glued to the phones, to the computers, is when it wasn't just one output. Because you also think MySpace wasn't like a live feed. It was, you had to post like a bulletin and hope someone read the bulletin and then messaged you back right. or something.
1: And the company didn't like your ads or tailor the post like it was or like raw and organic how it how it did it like somebody had to comment on your wall you had to comment back it didn't like the algorithms weren't there like they are with yeah I remember
0: too like when you had your top friends how mad someone would get if they if you got if they if you removed them from your top friend list yeah, yeah I like
1: think I how many people have, how I many friendships were ruined visible. because of that
0: <laughs> and then like it went from a top four to like you know what we'll give you a top eight and then a top twelve So, like, it almost at that point starts feeling like those, uh, the participation trophies where, you know, people just want to feel like they won because they made it on the wall.
1: Yeah, no, exactly what it was. And that's one good thing Facebook didn't do.
0: I don't know. It's, It's especially because social media is so, like, and as much as I'm, like, a, I get addicted to it at points. We're so better off as a, as a culture without it. Like it's, it's great in essence of what it's supposed to do, but not for what it's become.
1: My, a friend of mine who's been on the show before vintage Pokemon Hunter, he was, so he uses social media to his advantage. And like, I I think in like the positive way where it was meant to be used, he collects vintage Pokemon stuff and he uses Instagram to engage with people that he never would have, like, met previously before. I guess this was, like, pre. this is the – pre. previously it would have been through forums, but that's so outdated. So he connects people through Instagram. He People are like, yo, I have something really cool. Do you want to buy it? Or they're like, hey, do you have an extra one of that? I need it for my collection. So he interacts with people that way. And that aspect of social media has really helped him build his brand. And he's – he started earlier this year and he's already almost at 2000 subscribers and his Instagram is like triple that uh, with people like engaging about like finished Pokemon stuff. And he's like, I've, my collection has like boomed because of it. And he, I think he uses social media like the way it's supposed to be.
0: Yeah. Done. And that's why, like I tried to create those, um those separate pages on Facebook to just kind of like promote like the YouTube channel, the Twitch channel and whatnot, because that was more or less me trying to like use it how in that sense how it kind of should be right where hey like you know here's this hey here's this like but not full on sit there and like just post all day you know I'm like I stopped using Facebook in 2018 for that year and a half I mentioned and to see it become just all memes when I came back last year and I was like whoa No one's really even posting anything. Everyone's just sharing everything. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, this is... definitely changed. Yeah, it's it's almost like... You know, I remember back in the day, in like 2010, when people were like, oh, like this for a comment or something, or like this for a rate, or... And now it's like, hey, you know, you can own this house for $250,000 if you move to New Zealand... And it's it's just so many different things have, I think, changed. And in a weird way, it's almost like social media has, like, dumbed itself down.
1: Yeah, Yeah, it has.
0: has. Like, and I think that's one of, like, the benefits, if we go back to it, that MySpace had was you didn't have the the ability to just share something random, like, if you were to gonna, if you were gonna post like a bulletin or a message, it had to have been your words, you know. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it that was, was one of the better,
1: better things about it.
0: about it. Yeah, and to think that died what almost ten years ago, fifteen years ago now, even though it's still a site, I know.
1: Still, still around. around. Still, still people on. on it.
0: But it somehow swapped off for a while because I remember I think what was it Justin Timberlake bought it or something and made it like a really big music thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was, like, the, the place to go, to go for bands and, bands and stuff to promote their stuff and their shows.
0: Yeah, and then SoundCloud became a thing. Yep. yep. So, I mean, it's it's definitely weird that it's still around in the extent where it's, like, there, but no one really thinks it's still there, but it is. Like, I think two years ago, I was able to log into my old profile and see how much, like, that's aged awfully.
1: Uh, I don't. I deleted mine a long time ago and never looked back.
0: Yeah, I kept mine up, but I was one of those people that like one day you just transitioned to Facebook and never logged into MySpace again.
1: Yeah, yeah. There, there's a lot of people I think did that. The yeah, go, go ahead. ahead.
0: No, I was gonna say I found like so many old photos on there that I was just like, oh my god, I look. Like a fetus in these photos.
1: <laughs> but before before we transition, before we, you know, log off for the... I uh, want to transition over to uh, video games per minute. Um, I know that's how I first saw your channel, because I saw you actually posted something on Facebook. Where it was, you check out my game collections for the month. And you do the monthly updates at the end of the month or the beginning of the next month. The game pickups, Yeah. What, um, are you, do you collect just anything, anything? Do you have something specific that you collect? Like, how'd you get about collecting? Or is it just a collection that just amassed over time that you just never sold?
0: So it's a little bit of both actually. So as a kid, I only had, well, the first system I got was an Atari 5200 that my parents ended up selling at a garage sale, um, because (laughs) we couldn't find like the AC adapter for it. And it was my uncle's when he moved out. So he gave that to me as like a gift. But then the first system I really had that was my own was the PS1. And I never traded in any of my PS1 games growing up, only because as a kid, you kind of had to rely on your parents to buy you the games, or you had to get birthday money or whatnot. And, um, you know, my collection up until that point was like nothing. I had maybe. 10, 15 PS1 games up until 2012. Um, And then, you know, I ended up getting an N64 for uh, a graduation gift one year. Then I got the PS2, the GameCube, and then I got the Wii. And then that's, like, back in 2009-ish, I kind of actually fell out of video games because all my friends were still home and we would just play football, basketball every day after school. So I really didn't care much for gaming because mm-hmm. I actually became like an actual like social person for one of the first few times in my life um and then my collection really kind of took off in 2011 because I was working two jobs and I was just you remember when you first get a job and you're just kind of like wow I have my own money now right yep and oh yeah it was one of those things where I was like you know I'm kind of bored in my free time, but I don't want to play any of my Wii games. I also never used to go back to my old systems for some reason, because they were, like, outdated. But this is where it gets hilarious, because I started thinking, you know, I kind of want to play the games I never got the chance to play as a kid. So I ended up having one friend who had a Sega Genesis, and one friend who had a Super Nintendo. So I bought them and all their games off of them, because, you know, they were just sitting in basements. Um... And that's really where the collection kind of started, because I was like, "Wow, now I can play Super Mario RPG or uh, Gunstar Heroes or something." And then that that fall, my cousin I knew wasn't playing his PS3 anymore, so I was like, "Hey, I'll give you like two hundred bucks for your PS3," and he was like, "Okay." So that was that, and then all of a sudden, it they were all like this, just this thought in my head where I was like. All right, so I have these systems now. What actual games are out there for them, you know? And that's where the collection kind of took off, where I, you know, going into buying a Super Nintendo, all I really knew was Donkey Kong Country, Mario, and Earthbound. So to see all these other, like, Chrono Trigger and stuff out on that, I was like, oh, okay, let's see how much this costs. And I'm lucky enough that... When I started getting all the games I wanted, retro gaming wasn't as big as it is now, so I was able to get everything for decent prices. Um, where I started to fail on that was when I started collecting for the Sega Saturn, because those games are that's a pretty that's penny a these
1: days. One. Well, yeah, because it didn't sell well, and there wasn't a lot out there. So what you you know if you it's everything for it is expensive.
0: Except if I know Japanese. Because the Japanese uh, games, actually, the system was very successful overseas. So, games like like Panzer Dragoon Saga goes for like $1,000 for the American version. Because it only got like one print run. If I knew Japanese, I could get the Japanese copy for like 50 bucks, And all that would be is different.
1: Saturn, is Saturn, is Saturn region, region locked?
0: Yes and no. Um, So you could buy the Saturn had the the memory card expansion up top where you can buy like an action replay that all of a sudden takes away the region lock. So Mm -hmm. certain games I've picked up uh, that are Japanese because they have like mostly English text. And one game deep fear I have is basically like the Saturn's Resident Evil made by Sega, but all the voice acting is in English. So you can actually follow the story. And, uh, it was all of, like, 20 bucks. And I don't... Looking at it, I don't know why I bought the Japanese version when it did come out in Europe. And it's completely English text, English voice acting. Um. But, yeah. Then from there, you know, I bought the Saturn. I had my Dreamcast. Last year alone, I bought a Vita, a Graphics, and a Wii U. Um. Which... They actually surprisingly piqued my interest very much because their systems, not many people have.
1: The TurboGraphics, well, back in the day, only came out in certain areas, like around cities. So if you didn't live in the city, like you didn't get one, and that's that was their marketing. And it, it they, I, I guess whoever was in charge didn't realize that people moved to the suburbs. And yeah, it. They, it didn't work they figured that if like the people in the cities loved it, then it would trickle down and it they like forgot and isolated a group of people who just didn't know it existed um it was a quality wise probably one of the better it might have even been better than Sega um but it just and it had a decent library too, but it had it just the selling point was and the and the portable because all you you took the actual portable game. Like the game itself, and you just put it in a portable version for Turbo Graphics to go, and it was
0: that was the know, uh, spot on Turbo Duo. No, not the Turbo Duo, the Turbo Express. Yeah,
1: Turbo, yeah, Turbo Express. Express. Yeah, which I mean that's the Sega, Sega, the Sega tried it with Nova. the Nomad.
0: Yeah, with the Genesis games, and it's like the Turbo Graphics in itself is a very interesting console. Uh, I've learned over the last year just playing it every so often because it plays so differently than like the Genesis and like the Super Nintendo. Even though it's technically from the same era as like the the NES and the Sega Master System, uh, and I think that's what set it apart was it was kind of in that generation the first like next gen console, in certain ways, uh, because even if you look at um, what is it Castlevania, Dracula X is one of the terrible graphics most like sought after games, and it's still one of the most I think sought after Castlevania games, uh, right behind like Symphony of the Night, and. When I got my hands on it last year, it was funny because I just bought, like, the console only. Um, because someone was like, I don't know if it works, but here it is. And I was like, all right. And then he gave me the AC adapter, and all I had to do was buy, like, uh, the uh, the composite out uh, yep. cables and the adapter and a, a controller. And I bought a game that was, like, $2. And I was like, all right, let's see if it works. And it worked fine. And I was like, Okay. This guy sold me the console only for, like, $45, where an actual working console on eBay goes for, like, 120 now. And I was like, alright, I made out as a steal. And like, my Wii U, they, I got for, like, $35, so... That, that's a
1: steal. I think, I think that, that one's, one's gonna be one goes that goes up, up later, on. later on. I do, too. Because people hated it, and it, but it's gonna come back. I think it's... That one don't sleep on the Wii U.
0: I think it's going to be one of those situations like the Saturn, where no one bought it, but if even if you look at the Saturn's library, there are some really good games there, like Nights into Dreams, for example, uh, and they had a lot of weird RPGs, and I think the same thing with the Wii U is, the Wii U only sold, I think, like 20 million systems, if that, but there's a lot of good games on the Wii U that I think... Like like you were saying not to sleep on it. People are gonna I think down the line realize, wow, this wasn't actually like a great game. Um during the pandemic when it first hit, GameCube game prices were going up.
1: Yeah, GameCube GameCube is the hot one right now. Uh we we're just leaving the N sixty four and we're into the GameCube uh terms of what's hot and expensive. Like, GameCube is quite popular. And, it, again, it didn't, didn't sell, well sell well at time.
0: the time. Yeah, but it wasn't a bad system. Like, I, I remember you know, no, seeing fantastic. back in, um, I think it was April or May, people were posting that, you know, people were selling copies of a thousand-year door for, like, a hundred bucks. And it's ridiculous because two months earlier, the game was going for, like, $25. And I think that's what, during that time period, really shot up the GameCube prices because games that were so cheap, like, a month earlier, were now apparently prestigious, you know?
1: We are definitely in a uh, seller market. We're in a bubble. So if you... Now's not the time to buy. Now's actually the time to sell. Next year, when the bubble bursts, we'll, we'll be in a buyer's market
0: yeah, for collectibles. I, and I think, too, uh, with gaming, at least in this point in time, a lot of people were... You know the supply or the demand was up because people knew they were going to be stuck at home anyway. So uh, I think a lot of people who maybe gave up video games were now just looking for stuff to do, and they're like, "I remember playing Paper Mario like when I was 15. Let me let me see if I can buy that now." And then I think that was a thought between a lot of people, which is why the GameCube I think started selling so expensively. And I've noticed over the last couple years though the people's fondness for the GameCube has actually like really shot up. Whereas like, you know, 10 years ago, they're like, ah, oh, forget the GameCube. And now so many people, I think, remember it and realize just how different it was compared to everything out there at the time.
1: Right. Cause you were, if you were 10 or 11 years old in 2003, 2004, and now you're what, almost 30. So it's, that's what you, grew up with you know a couple years ago it was the n64 and then earlier in the decade was um the nes
0: yeah i mean it's it's definitely funny though because when when i look back at that time period the 2002 2003 it was almost like if you had a gamecube if that was your only console you were kind of shunned because everyone wanted people like who had the ps2 you know yeah, and
1: PS2 also had a DVD player, which helped it. The same thing Xbox did, too. Like, it, that was the major driving point for yeah. the two.
0: Like, I think Nintendo, in a way, has still remained the only company that still produces a pure game console, when you think about it. Yeah,
1: yeah and that's why still they're still around and successful. successful.
0: And that's why I think a lot of... I think a lot of their name is, like... Valuable in that market where you know Sony is known for at the end of the day they're electronics Microsoft is known for Windows and Nintendo at the end of the day Nintendo is video games like if Sega was still around making consoles they would be probably the same way but like Nintendo is that that last almost like that last outlaw that's still from that that prior life cycle where they're still alive and kicking and at the end of the day, like, in a lot of what Nintendo does, Nintendo's untouchable. Like, when when you look at the handheld market, they've always been, like, untouchable. Their consoles, not as much, but Nintendo-produced games always hold their price. Yeah, yes, for sure.
1: For sure. Like, if uh, not, go up.
0: Yeah, and that's, like, the crazy part about it is, you know... But also, like, that's, like, the, the benefit to Nintendo, where they don't just kind of push out games to push out games. Like, they will take their time with their product to make sure it is a quality product when it comes out. That's why you've never really seen a bad Zelda game come out, a bad Metroid game, a bad Mario game. It's because Nintendo won't release them yearly like Call of Duty does. They'll wait until, you know, it, it's ready.
1: yeah they know their audience they know their base and plus too back in the nes days they did have companies just throw out games that were just crap
0: that's why the quality of uh the the seal nintendo seal the quality became a thing yep. yep and nintendo i still believe does the whole thing where you have to send them their game to get it on the console which is why like if you look at, I think any GameCube game, it always says, no matter who made it, it'll be developed by EA, produced by Nintendo.
1: Yeah, that's why the Wii, Wii U era had a very lack the third party support, and the sw- the Switch is going up because they lack some of their rules for the Switch. That's why the Switch has uh, a bunch of the games on it now that come out on PS, PlayStation, Xbox.
0: Yeah, because. Nintendo's always, I think, really had a big premium with, like, production, right? Rights for their games. Um, Whereas Sony, I know, is, like, really lax. But the Switch, I think... The Switch would have either been, like, the next success for Nintendo or it would have maybe been, like, the nail in their coffin. Because... It seems like every other generation... Nintendo's home console doesn't really do well. Like,
1: but their handhelds, but their hand-helds do excellent, excellent every time. Yeah,
0: which is why I think when you looked at like they
1: hit the hit, hit a home run, run with so the Switch. It's handheld. It's portable and home in one.
0: Exactly, and I think that's why like one of the things that was the biggest market about them where I think offhand they were like all right, let's make a really strong handheld that you can also dock. I mean cuz you look at the Wii U, the Wii U in itself is a very similar concept but just not as polished at all. Yeah.
1: Exactly. It's it's they it was like the precursor to what they have now. It just didn't work and that the gamepad was just flawed. Yeah, and it really was.
0: It's funny cuz I like I pick up my gamepad now and it just feels like a plastic toy whereas like the Switch actually has like that premium feel to it.
1: Yes. It's the the switch feels sturdy, it feels good. Um and it feels like a console. Like that is it, like a, it's a good thing. It's a good
0: product. And it's funny because like I think when Nintendo's innovative, no one can really touch Nintendo when you think about it because look when the Wii uh the Wii came out, everyone tried to do motion controls after that, but no one really got the attention as much even though like in ways the PlayStation Move and the Kinect were better technologies but Nintendo was the name that kind of did it first so you knew like it wasn't like just a gimmick because that was the console you know and with the the Switch if anyone came out with like PlayStation or uh, Xbox and tried to do the same thing that the Switch does it definitely wouldn't be I think as sought after because it would almost be viewed as a copycat no matter how much Uh, stronger of a technology it could be
1: you're you're absolutely right sir um but it's been great chatting with you where can everybody find you
0: uh youtube.com slash double g392 you can find me on instagram at so underscore far underscore gons g-o-n-z and twitch.tv slash doubleg 392 for when I do my random live streamings
1: give a schedule, give a schedule.
0: Uh, I'm working on it this whole holiday season really has thrown my schedule off I had a really good one going but then just with everything going on you know I don't see myself fully picking up our real schedule again until January where it's like you know free going forward
1: yeah all right Be sure to check them out on the social media and on Twitch and YouTube. Definitely on the YouTube. And uh, we'll definitely do this again.